Let's state the obvious. There's a mitzvah to learn Torah, right? Truth is, there are two mitzvahs. One is the mitzvah to learn Torah, and the other is the mitzvah to teach Torah to your children. So what's unusual about that is in many of the classical sources we find that the mitzvahs are listed the other way around. First we get the mitzvah to teach children, and then we get the mitzvah to learn Torah ourselves, which seems to be illogical. Maybe you could say it's because you start young, so you've got to learn Torah from Torah Tziva as soon as you can speak, so maybe that's why we first talk about education. Or maybe you could say, because we know that out of all the places in the Torah that it speaks about the mitzvah, the main one is when it says, Vishinantam Levonecha, which is, of course, teaching children. But we have to understand why the Torah would want to pre- present it that way. We're going to see that maybe it's because we're actually training for the time of Mashiach, and that's when we'll do Torah properly, just like the child who learns Torah in order to train. Truth is that that would apply to mitzvahs as well. So we have to understand why is it that the Torah puts it this way. And in order to understand it, we have to distinguish that mitzvahs are here to make an impact on the world, whereas Torah is to get us to surrender ourselves to the truth of Torah. And so that requires, on the one hand, intellect, but it also requires an element of bittel, of dedication to Hashem. And that's what we're going to learn about, because the child, the small, the young, represents bittel, commitment to Hashem, more than an adult who really already has their own views and their own opinions. The mitzvah's the connection, obviously, is that the pasuk we're going to analyze over here comes from this week's parasha by Eschanan. So when it comes to the mitzvah of Torah learning, we've got two parts to the mitzvah. Number one, Aleph Lilmoit, the mitzvah to learn Torah, Hachiv Kishiyakir Lilmoit Torah, that as soon as you're old enough that you can follow, you're supposed to learn Torah. And then there's a second mitzvah, which is to teach Torah to other people, or befrat, especially, besides the generic concept that you should always teach Torah to other people, as a parent, as a father, you have a, a unique obligation to teach Torah to your son. So here's what's strange about it. You're going to find something very unusual, both in the writings of the Rambam and in the Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. Neither one of them starts with the most logical place, which is first mitzvah, you should learn, and then you could teach. They both do the opposite. It's interesting that both the Alter Rebbe and the Rambam both start by saying the primary mitzvah is for you, the father, to teach your son. That really does not seem to make sense because logic says the most logical place to start this conversation is to say, you the individual, you are required to learn Torah. And only once we've established that you are required to learn Torah, then then we could say, now, not only should you learn Torah on your own, but there's an additional requirement to teach others. That would be logical. First, fill your mind and then share what you've achieved, what you've learned with others. As is absolutely logical. Isn't it logical to say that the only reason you are obliged to teach a child must be a result of the fact that you're obliged to learn? And logically, what's unique about this is that Torah learning has this unique angle that you are responsible to convey it and to teach it to your children over and above every other mitzvah. 
In every other mitzvah, yes, of course, I have to teach my child to eat matzah and Pesach, and I have to teach my, my child to shake a lulav. But that is a rabbinic requirement on me as a father to educate my child. When it comes to teaching my child Torah, that's not de Rabbanan, that's de Raisa. The Torah says, Vishinanto. And of course, it goes without saying, you cannot share something you don't have. You cannot teach what you haven't learned. Not only should you learn, but you have to learn till you're on the ball, till you know this stuff clearly and well. So why do both the Rambam and the Alter Rebbe first address the responsibility that you have to teach others before the logical first step, which is to educate yourself? We're going to suggest two possible reasons. Here are two possible explanations. Aleph. If you do accept that the Torah expects me as a positive mitzvah to teach Torah to a young child, which is unique because there is no other mitzvah where the Torah requires me to get the child to do the mitzvah. I do it as part of education. Torah doesn't expect it. The fact that in this scenario, the Torah says that limud Torah, learning Torah, has to apply to a child as well. Then logically, that means that the obligation to learn Torah starts when you're a child. Because there's a mitzvah to teach Torah to a child. That means that the child has to learn Torah. So now we got the logic. The logic is, the minute a child is old enough to speak, we have to start teaching him Torah. As the Rambam famously says, as soon as he can talk, you teach him Torah. Now that you know that, the child has to learn Torah. Therefore, it makes sense that the first thing we should be told is teach a child, because that gives us the timeline. That emphasizes for us that the Chiyuv Limit Torah starts when you're a child. And there's another reason. There are many references in Torah to the mitzvah that you have to learn Torah. Whether it be the instruction to learn or whether it be the instruction to teach, both are repeated multiple times in the Torah. But everybody agrees. But everybody agrees that the primary source of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, as the Rambam lists it on his 613 mitzvahs, is from this week's parasha from the Shema, Vishinanta. So the Ika, the primary source of teaching Torah, is given to us in the language of teaching. Kedivre Rambam Shom, like the Rambam says, what does Vishinantam teach us? To learn and to teach. But the fact that you have to learn Torah is from this Pasuk. Now that we know that it is accepted across the board that the primary source in Torah for the mitzvah to learn is phrased as teaching. Without the other explanations, straightforward, simple understanding of the Pasuk is to teach your young child. So therefore it's logical that when we start the conversation around learning Torah, where do we start it? 
with teaching because the pasuk that is the mucker, that is the foundational source for the requirement to learn Torah is a, is a pasuk about teaching your child. The only thing is, we still haven't answered the question. We've just proven that this is how the Torah sees it. We still haven't explained why does the Torah see it this way? Why does the Torah first prioritize teaching even before learning? Elosh is a good for Derish Biro. So we need to understand that. Why is the mitzvah of Talmud Torah so distinct from every other mitzvah in two ways? Number one, why is this a mitzvah that applies equally to children as it does to adults? No other mitzvah seems that way. Number two, and this is so unusual where we are told the mitzvah of how we're supposed to do it, how we're supposed to learn is derived from an instruction of how we're supposed to share and teach others. That's so strange. Why did the Torah do this? So that's what we're going to have to try to decode. So he has a possible answer, although it is a bit of a stretch. Maybe what the Torah wants us to appreciate is no matter how much Torah learning you're going to do during the course of many lifetimes in this world, it is very, very different and far less than the Torah learning you're going to do when Mashiach comes. So let's understand, what do we mean by that? Let's again invoke words from the Rambam. The Rambam says, what's going to happen in the future in the Messianic age? We'll be free. Free from all stress and distraction, so that we can focus completely on learning Torah. And therefore, we'll be incredible sages. All of us, all of us will be incredible sages. And not only us, but the whole world will be filled with knowledge. And as the Rambam says, truth, wisdom, insight are just going to be universal. So what do you think Torah learning is going to be like then? Something altogether different from, from what we experience now. The Torah learning of that period is going to be exponentially greater than what we will ever master in Torah now. As the Chazal tells so much so that Chazal are even willing to say that the Torah learning we do now is like breath, it's vacuous compared to the Torah learning that's going to happen when Moshiach comes. So, if our Torah learning now is effectively a fraction of what's out there, it's kind of like Chinuch. So maybe that's what the Torah wants us to know. Hey, you think you're so smart. You think you've mastered entire areas of Torah, tracts of Torah, made siyumim on Masechus. You think you're a big macher. Your learning now in this world is the equivalent compared to the Yosid Lavi to the time of Mashiach as a child's learning compared to an adult's. So therefore, how will we introduce you to Torah? Talking the language of children. And therefore, we can extrapolate this further and say, well, when a child learns Torah, it is obviously educational. Whatever the child learns will see them in good stead for their future. Whatever Torah the child learns will only be preparation for when the child is old enough to be responsible to learn for himself. 
same thing. Our Torah learning now is practice. It's preparing us. All the Torah that we that we learn in this lifetime or in all the generations of human history, Jewish history, is just prep for what's going to happen when Moshiach comes. You ain't seen nothing yet. Then you All of the learning that we bring with us in hand when we go to greet Mashiach, that will facilitate us being able to understand what Mashiach has to say. To be able to open our minds to an incredibly different dimension of Torah. So maybe that's it. Maybe that's why the Torah alludes to the childlike element of learning Torah by saying the Iker Mitzvah is Vishinantam Levanecha. You're a child. So we'll appreciate that we haven't begun to scratch the surface of what Torah is all about. The only issue with that is you could probably argue the same thing for mitzvahs. Avobir Zayne must be it's an insufficient explanation. The exact distinction we're drawing over here between Torah as we experience it now and Torah as we will experience in the time of Moshiach can just as well be applied to mitzvahs. There's an expression that we use which is that the mitzvahs we're doing now are almost like signposts indicating you think this is the full mitzvah wait it's going to be even greater more spectacular and of course there are mitzvahs that we cannot even do now because as we say in our davening then when Mashiach comes then we'll be able to do the mitzvahs as Hashem intended now we do the mitzvahs to the best of our abilities but then we'll do mitzvahs as Hashem intended. So, if you want to single out Torah and say, it's Dafka Torah that has this component of being like a child when you're learning Torah, guess what? It's the same for mitzvahs. Both of them, in their current form, are not fully expressed, not fully developed, and it's preparation for what's going to happen. The fact that we note that the Torah Dafka makes an association between Limud HaTorah and children, which it does not do with any other mitzvah. To the point that the overarching source from which we derive the entire concept of Limud HaTorah is an instruction that focuses on children. There still has to be, and we haven't yet found what it is, Something about Torah learning that has to be linked to children more than any other mitzvah. And of course, the only way to answer that will be to analyze what is the difference generally between what mitzvahs are intended to achieve and what Torah is intended to achieve. Once we understand that, we'll understand why Torah dafka always keeps being anchored back to children or childishness, as we'll see. This will all make sense once we do an analysis of the difference between Torah and Mitzvahs. require physical items. You want to put on tefillin, you need hide, you need parchment, you need ink, you need straps, you need boxes. And the goal of it is that the mitzvah should affect the physical item. So you have a coin, and now it becomes a unique coin because it was used for tzedakah. In other words, the goal of mitzvahs 
is impact on the physical world. To put it into halachic language, the goal of mitzvahs is the impact of the person on the entity, on the object. The goal of mitzvahs is to refine and elevate the physical item that you use for the mitzvah, and together with that, the entire human experience, including the nefesh abahamis, which facilitates doing the mitzvah, they're all elevated. The mitzvah impacts what's outside of me, around me. Now, needless to say, in order to do a mitzvah, there has to be an element of bitter. Why am I doing a mitzvah? Because David just said so, right? It's not about me. It's about what Hashem told me to do. I submit. I surrender. I do what Hashem wants. I'm not supposed to do mitzvahs because they make sense to me. Oh, I get it. The whole purpose of putting on tefillin is because it hits all those different acupuncture points, and that's really healthy for a person. No, I do a mitzvah. I put on tefillin because Hashem said so. The reason that I do a mitzvah is because that's what Hashem instructed. But everybody will agree that the primary focus of a mitzvah is do it. We're not going to interrogate you. What was your intention? Why did you do it? Do you have the right motivation? No, we don't. We say, hey, are you Jewish? Put on tefillin. Now you've got a mitzvah because the primary thing of a mitzvah is the deed, the action. The sense of surrender to Hashem. The idea that a mitzvah will put you in a position of Dedication to Hashem. The idea that the, that the mitzvah refines you as a person. The fact that the mitzvah will definitely impact you as well. Is not intrinsic to the mitzvah. And therefore if it's not there, the mitzvah still happens. So if a person literally only agrees to put on tefillin because Samcha Badnik badgered them enough that they said the only way to get rid of this guy is to put on tefillin. They have no interest, no motivation, no dedication, no awareness. It's 100% a mitzvah. Ah, it would be wonderful if the mitzvah would touch them, elevate them, inspire them, redirect them. Absolutely. But if that's absent... The mitzvah is still absolutely a mitzvah. And that's really important for a person to remember. The core value of mitzvahs is the deed. Whereas what is the goal of Torah? The concept of Torah is that a human being using the gifts of intellect that Hashem has endowed that human being with the goal is that the human being using his or her faculties should become completely connected with and one with the idea that he understands. I know. So real Torah learning is where a person reaches a point which says, I'm not going to live my life doing what I want, what I love, what I desire. I'm going to live my life understanding what Hashem wants and taking it on, digesting it, making it mine. When you're talking about Torah, it's not just like any other intellectual pursuit where the goal is, I want to understand this information. Here it's saying, I want to bring godly wisdom into my reality. Now there's only one way to do this successfully. 
Their ability to surrender, their ability for bittel, is foundational to Torah learning. If you don't have that, you corrupt what comes into the system. Considering that Hashem's wisdom is completely outside of the range or experience of the whole human life experience. Therefore, there's no way that Torah can get inside a person unless the person's willing to let go. In other words, as long as the person hangs on to my perspective, my preconceptions, my ideas, how I would like this all to pan out, I'll never get what Hashem has to say. Because Hashem, Hashem's wisdom is beyond what I'll ever understand, what I'll ever see, what I'll ever preconceive, what I'll ever want. So the only way to really grasp Torah is first to let go. Let go of self, let go of preconceptions, let go of aspiration. If a person only learns Torah just simply using their brain, a person could totally corrupt the information because of his bias, because of his preconceptions, and start spewing out things that he claims to be halachic, which are not they're completely antithetical to Torah. This will be a person who Daka does have wisdom and very convincing, compelling arguments. It's not Hashem's wisdom. And unfortunately, we see a lot of that around the world. People who use phraseology that sounds like it could be Torah-based, but then it's a little warped, it's a little corrupted, and that's exactly why. Because they've got brilliant minds, but the inability for bittle. Therefore, the Chazal tell us that there is a key to Torah, which is You have to acknowledge Hashem in a brocha before you start to learn. Because if you don't create that priority, that this is Hashem nosan and is noisein ha Torah, that right now Hashem is giving me the Torah. If I don't say that before I start learning, I'm already one micrometer off track, and who knows where that lands up down the line. That is the foundation and introduction to learning Torah is a brocha. Where we acknowledge and highlight and emphasize to ourselves what we're about to learn is not mine, it's not open to my opinion, it's Torah soy, it's Hashem's Torah. That opens me up to be an appropriate recipient of Torah because I'm appropriately willing to surrender myself and then you can actually get Torah. So what's the distinction between mitzvahs and Torah? Mitzvahs have everything to do with what you do and the items you do it with. Torah has everything to do with where you are in your head. How much bittel does a person have? It's for this reason that there is a distinction, major distinction between Torah and mitzvahs, not only in how they're practiced, but also in how the Torah expects us to fulfill them. Just as a fundamental prerequisite for Torah is that the person is willing to let go and have submission to Hashem, which is the only way to facilitate that this person should now be open to receive divine wisdom, Therefore, 
the same way that you have to prepare appropriately to learn Torah, it's equally important and it's probably even more so to have to highlight it that while the person is learning Torah, they have to retain that bittle, that commitment. So, mitzvah kashad any time that a person does a mitzvah because Hashem said so, the reality is the person's ego doesn't really contaminate the mitzvah too much. Because quite frankly, what's the person doing? What Hashem told me to do. That's what I'm doing. I'm here fulfilling Hashem's mitzvah. Because the person doesn't necessarily feel that their ego is driving the process. You know, I'm just doing what they told me to do. So it's not so important to keep reminding the person, bittle, bittle, bittle. But how do you learn Torah? You have to use self. You have to use ego in order to, not, not ego in the arrogant sense, but there has to be a sense of self to learn Torah. You have to use your brain. When you consider that the goal and purpose of Torah is to take the human intellect and bind the human intellect with the divine intellect, there's a magnificent thing that happens when you learn Torah properly. In fact, it's totally revolutionary that you have a scenario of a person working out an insight into Torah that they feel very strongly is their own and perhaps nobody else in the whole of history ever had this particular angle or insight. And yet at the same time, it's actually not yours. It's, it's Hashem's Chochmah. Whoa, do you need to work hard to make sure that the self doesn't creep right into this process and totally poison it with a sense of me, hey, look how brilliant I am. Or this is how I see the Torah. I believe, you often hear people say this, I believe that the Torah would say X and Y. That's what you've got to be super vigilant about when learning Torah. In fact, a person could reach a point where they become so self-assured in their Torah learning, so convinced of their total dedication to the Torah, that they actually convince themselves they only care about what's right in the Torah. In fact, the person will become so convinced that I got this right, that if somebody else has a different view, they'll say, you're against the Torah. You, you're off the, off the rails. Like the Gemara uses the expression, says, it's the Torah inside the person that cocked them up, that got them all riled up while they oppose their opponent. Whereas, if we're honest, honest about it, what really upsets the person is, you didn't agree with me. That's why I'm annoyed. I'm not defending the honor of Torah as I'd like to convince myself. I don't like the fact that you disagreed with me. For all of these reasons, that's why Torah learning has to be super saturated with a sense of bitter commitments and submission to Hashem.
שישמר הלוי מת שם ציוס והישר שלו לא תסערבנה וסחדנה וסטנה אז יגיע שיחלה ואבונס וגידו חכמו סיסבורך to ensure and protect the person that the person will not have self mixed into their Torah learning and shift or bias their Torah learning away from the truth. We need Bittel when learning Torah much more than any other area of Judaism because this is the one that is most susceptible to the sense of I. So, now we can start to understand the questions we asked right at the beginning. Why would the first mitzvah be teach a child and then learn? And why would it be derived from a pasuk Even the mitzvah to learn Torah would be derived from a Pasuk that is about teaching children. Now you should start to see the theme. Children are the key to successful Torah learning. First thing we learned is, wow, unlike every other mitzvah, even a child is required to learn Torah. Doraisa. And where do we find the source in the Torah for the fact that an adult has to learn Torah from the words that are associated with teaching children? You know why this is? Because these are the two facets that are required in order to learn Torah properly. Number one. Why is it that the Torah insists that you have to start learning Torah when you're young? Why is that so important? Is it a brainwashing program that we have? Get in while the children are still, are still susceptible? In fact, how early do we go in education? Not to the point where a child is clever enough or mature enough to have a conversation around basic issues in Torah, we start when they can talk. They're going to parrot those words. Torah, they don't understand what it means. They're going to parrot it. Why? Why do we do that? Because the Torah wants to be madgish, to emphasize. Because when you start teaching Torah to a child who does not yet have a developed intellect, You're making a statement. Torah doesn't start where your intellect starts. It starts before that. The message is, where does Torah start? With your ability to be like a child. The child will accept at face value whatever the parent says. That's what you teach me. Must be true. It's only later on where we start to become cynical and question. Child, wow, that's absolutely amazing. Acceptance, bittle. Where does Torah start? Where does Torah learning begin? And it's a little deeper than that. Bittel is something that we are gifted with thanks to our neshama. Bittel is not something you achieve because you've learned, because you've understood, because... No. Bittel is something you have because you have a neshama. Your neshama is one with Hashem. And therefore, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter where you are in life, you could be a child, you have the capacity for bittel. That's the first and possibly the core lesson we have to know about learning Torah. Start with a sense of, I'm a child open to receive. 
The second point is that where in the Torah do we address learning Torah? In the context of teaching. That teaches us not only is the prep, where do you start the process in in the state of a child of submission, but Melamdeno teaches us that even while you're learning Torah, now that you're invested in the Torah learning, you're using your adult, mature, developed intellect to try and understand what's going on in the Torah. With your best capacity for learning, we still say, remember, this mitzvah belongs to Vishinantam Levonecho. This mitzvah belongs to still retaining your childlike innocence and acceptance and bittel. All of this is reflected in two Mishnayas in Pirkei Avos, which we would normally read on the Shabbos of um, Pashas Voishanan. Well, uh, yeah. Every single thing, as the Rebbe says, who knows how many times in Torah is absolutely letter perfect, and everything is Bashkacha Protis. There's always got to be a link between the parasha and the Pirkei Ovis that you learn on the Shabbos of that particular parasha. Whether it be the Pirkei Ovis that we learn between Pesach and Shavuos, which is the universal custom, or the Mishnah's Pirkei Ovis that we learn during the summer Shabbosim, as is our custom. Whether if Shabbos coincides with Tishabov, if in fact you say um, you say Pirkei Avos or not, we'll go with a view that says you do. It's not an alachic opinion necessarily that we're paskening over here, just to say that this is a time to relate this Perek to this Shabbos. Especially considering that we have this overriding enthusiastic expectation that Moshiach can come literally at any minute and turn it all around and Tisha B'Av will become a Yom Tov. Even if it's literally moments before Tisha B'Av, we certainly, certainly can believe that there's a possibility that we could still learn Pirkei Avos even on a Shabbos Tisha B'Av because Mashiach could come. Either way, either way, there's a connection between Pirkei Avos and this particular, the, the, the Perik of Pirkei Avos and this parasha of Eschadon and specifically the message we are teaching here about the child, the innocence of a child. So we can look at two Mishnahs, Mishnah Chof and Mishnah Yutes. So, besides the fact that there's a link between Voyeshanan and Pirkei Oves, Perek Dalad because both Parshas Voyeshanan and Perek Revi of Pirkei Oves have a strong theme of things associated with Limit HaTorah. On the one hand, in the parasha, we have many of the details of the laws of learning Torah. 
וכן כמה וכמה משנייס בפרק זה, כאלה סיירויס בשייך זה לימוד התורה, and many of the משנייס in פרק דלת of פרק אלווס speak about things associated with learning Torah. That's generally speaking, we're going to be more specific. We're going to link the two themes that we had, which is prepare for learning Torah with a sense of bittel and retain your bittel even while you're exercising your mind to learn Torah. Those two themes are reflected in two Mishnais in Perek Dadal Perek Yavis. So let's start with Mishnah Chof. We'll start with Mishnah 20. which says, person who learns Torah while they are young, that's compared to a person who's writing on a beautiful, clean piece of parchment. Everything is nice and clear. Whereas, if a, so if a person learns Torah when they're already older, it's like trying to write over a parchment that's already been erased. So it's dirty and it's unclear. Something about this really doesn't seem right. It sounds like we're discouraging people learning later on in life. That's what it sounds like. The first lesson is clear. When you're young, if you learn Torah, it's great, it's clear. That's great, that makes sense. That's got a very practical and encouraging message. When you're young. Don't wait around. Freshest time. Your mind is nimble. This is when you should learn. That makes sense. But why do we have to focus on the second part of the mission, which actually sounds negative and discouraging? That if you're already old, then it's, and now you start to learn Torah, then it's like trying to write on used paper. What's the Mishnah trying to say? If for whatever reason it is, you did not manage to learn Torah in your youth, sorry, but it's going to be really difficult when you're older. What are we trying to discourage people? So if we look at youth and age just simply as your identity documents, then it sounds really discouraging. But seeing as we now understand that youth and age or adulthood and childhood represent two different approaches to learning Torah, it actually makes perfect sense. We say when a person learns Torah as a child, we don't mean at six years old. We mean a person who learns Torah with a childlike approach where they see themselves as open and bottle and ready to receive what the Torah has to say. That's how Torah will be truly absorbed with the clarity of writing something on a fresh piece of parchment. But if, if your entire experience of learning Torah is purely intellectual, which is alluded to in the word Zokain, that we know the Zokain represents somebody who has achieved intellectual maturity. Leloi Beetle missing the point that it's supposed to be underpinned by Beetle, then that's the kid boy, then you cannot absorb the Torah properly. There's an impediment, there's there's interference, there's something on the paper already. So the first Mishnah we're learning of your Mishnah Chof directly relates to what we're saying. You have to prepare yourself properly to learn Torah. How? By being a blank page. Write the Torah on me. Not like being a Zakin who says, I've already got stuff on the page. Let's see where we can squeeze in the Torah knowledge. And then let's look at Mishnah Yutes. 
Shmuel HaKotten Oymer, Benfola Yivchal Tismach. Shmuel HaKotten says, if your enemy falls, don't rejoice. And if he stumbles, don't let your heart become glad. Why? In case the Ebesha notices your attitude, and it will be bad, and Hashem's eyes, and Hashem will redirect his anger from that person who's now collapsing to the person who's gloating. Very obvious question over here. Shmuel Akotan, with all due respect, what you're saying over here is a Pasuk in Mishle. What are you telling us? That's a Chiddush over here. It's a Pasuk. What's he telling us? And there's a magnificent insight the Rebbe is going to share. We're not talking about an enemy in the classical sense. We're talking about a different kind of enemy. Says the Machsavitri, the Pasuk that Shlema Melech was talking about, that's a regular battle. And your enemy is falling, don't gloat. But Shmuel HaKotten, remember this is Perkei Avos, which is Mili de Chassidusa. This is already beyond what is obvious and halachically required. What does he say? He says, even when you are jousting intellectually with your Chavrusa and you get the upper hand on him, Alam Natseach Lodas, the person who overcomes, but say, hey, you see, I was correct, needs to know, Kin Binafel Oyivcha Al Tismach Minitzotan Al Chavercha Vukulei. Don't gloat over the fact that you've one-upped the other person. Like the Gemara tells us, the Tefillah Reb Nechunim ben Akona would say before he would go to learn, Let it not be a scenario where my colleagues make a mistake in their learning and I should have simcha, I should rejoice over that. Now, why would anybody learning Torah who ostensibly should be a very decent human being think that you could gloat if the other person gets it wrong. Why would you think this is okay? We get it. Okay, in the battlefield, don't gloat when other people are hurt. Fine. But why would anybody think that when you're debating in Torah, suddenly now it is okay? These are people who should be more sensitive. This is an area where it should be more obvious that you don't feel happiness at somebody else's loss. Shmuel Akotten felt that this was something important that had to be addressed. Now the Rebbe already alluded to this a little bit earlier on where he said what happens is when a person learns Torah and there's not real bittle, they start to believe that they're defending Torah where actually they're defending themselves. Because we're talking a scenario here where the person managed to prove that their view of halacha was correct and not their colleagues. It's got nothing to do with me. The Torah was proven correct. Something in Torah that was unclear has been clarified. Everybody should be happy about that. Surely, at least me, I was the one who facilitated that we now have clarity about what the Torah really believes. It's exactly to this that Shmuel Cotton warns, Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. If all that you really cared about was the truth and integrity of Torah, then then your simcha would never have been that he fell. 
The fact that you were one up on the other guy, that wouldn't have been the Simcha if it was genuinely for the sake of Torah. You only would have celebrated the fact that Baruch Hashem Torah has now been clarified. The little niggling sense of they were not right tells you something's not so kosher over here. And let's say that a person really had achieved a, a level where my only concern with Torah is to reveal Hashem's wisdom to the world. Then you would never have seen the other person as anything less because his Torah would be as valid as yours. Only one of them can apply in Maise, right? In practice. For practical reasons, you can't have two people who are right. You can only follow one opinion, right? But conceptually, from an angle and perspective where we understand that every opinion in Torah is Torah, I should never have seen that person as an Oyev, and I should never have seen them being full. I should never have thought that they're any less. The fact that a person sees through those lenses tells you that the person is not completely where they need to be. Even when we decide the halacha one way, the opposing opinion remains genuine Torah. You can't speak about that being a failure, a collapse. And definitely not an enemy. The fact that this person feels, aha, you, my so-called enemy, have fallen. Then you know that the person's feeling, hey, I won. Me, 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 me. I came out on top. Therefore, who comments on this? Shmuel HaKotten, a person who worked on himself, who achieved that sense of bittel in himself. That's why he was called HaKotten, because he always reduced his own persona. He says, you have to remember that not only the prep to learn Torah has to be a clean paper, a bittel, but the learning itself has to have bittel, which you could test by the fact that when somebody else has an opinion which is proven to be inaccurate and yours is correct, you won't see them as an opponent and you won't see them as having fallen. The only thing you'd care about is that Torah should be clarified and the truth of Torah should come out. Ah, you could still argue. You're right. The other person's opinion is valid because every part of Torah is valid. The truth is, it is Torah. But the fact is, he wanted the angle he was teaching to be considered the halacha and it's definitely wrong about that. It's not the halacha. Because now we know that the, de- the halacha is definitely not like his opinion. Maybe he's taka fallen. Maybe he taka, you know, something he's not as good as he should be. So therefore, why do I have to be so careful not to be happy? 
Why do you have to be so concerned not to think that maybe he missed a step over here? He did miss a step. He didn't get the halacha right. Safe, safe. The bottom line is something which was inappropriate, inaccurate, uh, inauthentic was removed from the halachic uh, perspective. We should be happy. We should all be happy about this. So to answer that, Shmuel HaKotten says, you could even be right and you'd still be wrong. Because what does it say? We don't want a scenario where Hashem sees your attitude and therefore redirects his anger at you. That means there's already anger there. It could be that the other person got the halacha wrong. Not because he's Less intelligent, could be, actually be a punishment from Hashem. Could really be that you're right. This person is not as he should be, and therefore this person landed up deciding the halacha incorrectly. Maybe you're right about that. Maybe it's a punishment from Hashem to blur his vision, not to be able to see things clearly. Therefore, all the more reason why you dare not celebrate. You have now been party. Let's assume you're correct. You've been party to the punishment of another person. You can't celebrate that. The only thing that you could possibly celebrate is that we have clarity, that we know how the Torah is actually supposed to play out. In fact, if a person would celebrate the fact that somebody else has fallen, that would actually put the person in a scenario where they deserve to have that anger redirected at them. That maybe now the Ebesha was tucker angry with that person, but because you have chosen to gloat over them, maybe the Ebesha will redirect. When a person contemplates this thought, not only will you not celebrate or be happy that somebody else has fallen or tripped or messed up in their learning, you'll do the opposite. Then you'll actually make sure that you fulfill what the Gemara says, that when, when the rabbis argue, it's full-on battle. But they don't leave the spot until they're absolutely at peace with each other and love each other again. And that's what a person has to do. You see that somebody else has gone totally off the trail and got it wrong. Go out there and show love to them. In fact, a person should reach the point, as the Gemara describes, that as much as they absolutely disagreed in practical application of Aloha, they treated each other with absolute love and friendship. To fulfill the Pasuk that says, That they loved truth and peace. And there's an implication over here. How do you know that your Torah learning is true? When it is Shalom. When it's in a context of peace.